When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I make over $160,000 passively each year. That means I make over $13,000 a month doing nothing. And I'm gonna show you exactly how I do it with single family real estate. And don't worry, it's not just gonna be, oh, own a bunch of property and surprise, surprise, you get rent checks that total up to $160,000. That would be really, really boring. I wanna use this video as a conduit to really educate you and peel back the layer on real estate and real estate complexity to hopefully share a lot of insight with you to where not only are you gonna love this video, but you're gonna watch the future videos that I allude to in this one. Passive income. How could I not make this the first part of this new playlist? And thank you so much for everybody who commented on the last video introducing this playlist. I'm so excited to share it with all of you. And it's it's kind of really like liberating because like I really wanna make this boop boop happen that we talked about. So that's my goal here is to actually show you an incredible secret in real estate that I consider so valuable yet very, very few people actually realize it. Savvy investors do, and that's why real estate is such an exciting medium. It's, a, it's such a great way for you to actually create passive income. Oh, by the way, I'm not a financial advisor or CPA, so if you need one of those, call one of those. I think an important preface as well is to mention that I'm 26 years old, and Lauren and I made the money to invest in these properties from our business, from selling real estate. You can make the money in anything. You can make the money in a nine to five job. You can make the money in a self-employed job. I personally wish I had a nine to five job because then I would be stressed out all the time. At least I think I would be. A good part to begin with is defining passive income. If you don't already know what it is, people say, hey, it's money that you get from doing nothing, but it's important to know that you can also be deemed as having passive income if you do a little bit of work. For example, I consider buying a vending machine, placing it somewhere, and just just kind of supervising that Coca-Cola refills it every so often, I consider that as passive income, primarily because I'm not there ringing up the person every single time they need to make a transaction to buy a water bottle or soda. To me, that's passive income. First, let's go into a little bit more detail on these four single families because a lot of folks say, oh, a single family is not an asset. You can't make money on a single family dwelling. If you watched my video on houses ain't assets, you already know that I don't agree with that statement, but watch this video to see exactly why some of that background information on, wait a minute, what's Kevin not saying? Why are houses income producing vehicles? These houses became rentals in 2013, 14, 15, and 16, one a year. With the exception of the 2016 property, the first three properties are on their second tenant. That means they had a period of time where the first tenant had to leave and the new tenant came in. Here's the cool thing. Each of those three properties had less than three days of vacancy. A lot of folks say, oh, single family, well then it's 100% People give their 30-day notice, qualified people, tenant screening is a whole nother video. What do we do? We do our walkthrough, we start lining up vendors, the painter, the cleaner, the floor touch-up person, whatever it is we need to do for the specific date when we know the tenant's going to be out. And then the new tenant has already seen the property during that 30-day notice period. We generally already have a lease signed and they just move in a few days later. I think two of them were two-day vacancies and one of them was a three-day vacancy. So when people say, well, Kevin, why aren't you worried about vacancy factor? That's why. <laughs> now the fourth property is still on its 
its first tenant. No, no, knock on wood. I don't want to get noticed tomorrow, but I don't think they're moving anytime soon. We're really happy about that. We love long-term tenants because turnover is expensive. That is true, especially about single families. There is more stuff that can go wrong than in say an 800 square foot unit. However, I do think that people end up staying in houses much longer than they do units. And you can watch my video on houses versus units to see more about that. Now, where are all these houses? Well, all of these houses, they're not anywhere outside of 30 minutes away from me. That's how I like to keep it. I like all of my real estate to be within 30 minutes of where I live so that if something's wrong, I can drive there and I'm not kicking myself that I have to drive three hours or worst case, fly somewhere just to see what the heck is going on with my property. Additionally, each of these four properties was in a distressed condition. And one of them had a water leak, one of them was a short sale, one of them was a foreclosure, and the other one was just one where it had really never been updated and still had shag carpet from the 1960s. Get out of here, you tree trimmers, come on! As far as budget, we put about forty dollars to $60,000 into each of those properties when we initially bought them. So that's another question that comes up is I get asked, hey, you know, if you have a rental property, you're gonna have to replace some stuff. Generally, because we've done a relatively large renovation, we know what things we didn't touch, but in all of these properties, we replaced the furnace, we replaced things like the electrical system, and we kind of updated whatever we needed to do. So really, we're generally limited to just touching up on things we already remodeled, like maybe the carpet needs a steam cleaning or that paint color that we always use just needs a touch up. That's not to say that the roof can't go bad. And we're going to talk about repairs and things like that later in the video. Now, going into it, the total value of all these properties combined is about two and a half million dollars. The outstanding debt on the these properties is about $1.5 million. That leaves about $1 million of equity. That's just basically net worth in these properties that we could either leverage against or whatever if we were to sell them minus selling costs would be left over for us. Don't worry about it. We're not talking about selling this video. The total payment on all of these properties is $9,348.25. This right here is a very crucial point. You'd think, well, gosh, if the payments are about $9,348, then your rent better be way higher than that because how else would you get to even $20,000 of passive income? That's the point of this video. If I was just gonna tell you, hey, rent your properties and whatever the difference between the payment and the rent is, that's your cash flow and that's your passive income, that'd be boring. That'd be stuff you could read or watch anywhere. So total payment is $9,348. The total income is only $10,450. So you can see that's only about $1,100. And I didn't even consider management, vacancy, or repairs. There's a reason for that. I'm going to talk about management, vacancy, and repairs very specifically with our real numbers later on in this video. See, the point here is we're not talking about some unicorn deals out there that look so great on a video that you're like, gotta have real estate. This is a real example of, oh wow, I can make that much money doing that? Oh, and if you're thinking about market crashes and stuff, we're gonna talk about that too, okay? So hang tight. Now you finally got everything I got in terms of background. Now let's literally go point by point to explain how we get to this math. Number one, not too surprising, principal pay down. Every single month, I pay off a portion of the outstanding debt. That's what's called principal pay down or equity buildup. The cool thing about this is if you have a 30 year fixed rate loan, this happens whether or not prices go up or prices go down. You keep paying off principal, whether you owe more than the property's worth or you owe less or the market crashes or the market soars, it doesn't matter. If you lock in a payment and your tenant's making that payment 
for you every month because your goal is to rent it for more than what your total payments are, you are netting that principal pay down every single month. I have this little spreadsheet that I go into and I love going in there and every single month updating the new principal balances of the loan because at the bottom it's like net worth sum uh, total and it just goes up, tick, 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 tick. The very first number therefore in this list is the total of the principal pay down of all four of these properties, which when you add up the principal pay down of property A, B, C, and D, you get to a total of $2,468 of principal pay down every single month. That works out to $29,617 per year of principal pay down. That is money that's going aside and is increasing our net worth. So the question that usually comes up now is, well, wait a minute, this is like paper cash flow. It's uh, not actually something that you can go out there and buy candy bars with, right? That is in some ways correct, but in my opinion, it's mostly wrong. Here's the reason for that. When my net worth position goes up, I decrease the amount of debt that I have outstanding on properties, and I can now take out secondary financing if I wanted to, to be able to spend that money. And when you take out secondary financing, you're not paying capital gains because you're not selling the asset. All you're doing is you're putting another loan against the property and now you can go spend the money. So for example, if three years go by and let's say the net worth position is $100,000 greater, I could pretty easily go to somebody and say, hey, I need to borrow 50K. How about a note against one of these properties or three of them? Well, who cares, right? It doesn't really matter because I'm always gonna pay them back. There's $50,000. I could spend that on a business project and do whatever it is I need to do. And then I can pay the loan off again as the business continues doing what it is or I continue making money however I make money. So now I've been able to kind of use these properties to maybe buy other property or fund business projects or really whatever it is I want, which is kind of the same thing as getting cash in your pocket, except when I get cash in my pocket, I have to pay taxes on it right away. Something else to know about these loans is they're called fully amortized 30 year fixed rate loans. What that means is for 30 years, the payment will not go up. Nobody's going to call me and say, hey, guess what? Your entire loan is doing payable right now. That's called calling a loan. And if I decide you know what, I can get a better interest rate than I have right now. I could refinance the loan, which we'll make another video about refinancing, lower my payment, and there's no prepayment penalty on the first loan, which means if I pay off the entire first loan early, I don't get penalized with like a six or $10,000 fee because I paid the loan off early. That's because this is considered conventional financing and our government makes conventional financing so desirable and so designed to protect home buyers so that a great recession doesn't happen again. That doesn't mean you can't get in over your head and you shouldn't be careful, but there are some really cool loan features in existence now that take care and protect you, the borrower. This one's gonna be quick. It's the number two source of the passive income we're talking about in the video here. It's obviously the cash flow from the rents. Again, it's gonna be quick because I really want you to dive into all of the other things that I'm talking about. And I'm really interested to hear what you think. Hey, like, this is interesting. I didn't know about principal paydown or I didn't know about the tax benefits or whatever. I'd like to hear what your thoughts are. So comment below. By the way, all of these figures are super scalable. So if I'm talking about a $600,000 house and you're referring to $200,000 houses or $1.2 million houses, it's okay. It's all scalable. It's all realistically, it's all the same. We talked about the total debt expenditures on these properties and we talked about the total rent. The difference works out to $13,221. That's before repairs, vacancy, and management. Don't worry. There's a reason I'm separating these. We're going to talk about that. Remember, this is supposed to be a real example. I don't like giving hypothetical stuff, so I'm just giving you the numbers the way they are. Here's the huge one. So if you haven't been listening to anything, this is the one you want to listen to. The tax benefits of real estate. The majority of money I make comes from being a real estate broker. That's what I call my active income, which is taxed very highly. Thanks to the tax rates in California combined with the federal rates, we probably pay at least 40% on our marginal dollar. 
Now the marginal dollar is that last set of dollars that we make. So for example, if we make $20,000 in a year, our marginal tax rate might only be 8% or 10%, as in the difference between $14,000 of income and $15,000 of income might only get taxed at eight or 10% because it's a, at a lower bracket. But the difference between making 400 dollars and $500,000 might mean now paying taxes of around 40% on that extra $100,000. You just worked your butt off for an extra $100,000 and you only walked away with an extra $60,000. That's the marginal tax rate. And that is also where your tax deductions come into play. Because when you make tax deductions, you take it off the back end first. The really expensive taxes you're paying get deducted first. So that's why the tax deductible number of using 40%, especially in California, isn't too far-fetched. Don't confuse that with average tax rate. That's a little different. That would be taking the entire sum and then the average of all of that and then seeing, oh, my average rate is like 25%. We're just talking about at the margin, the last end bit. Totally topic for a different video again. On real estate rental property, you can deduct what's known as Timmer D. That's property taxes for T, insurance, maintenance, management, utilities, reserves, and depreciation. A lot of deductions for real estate. Here are the big ones as they relate to us. Every single month, we get to write off $5,059 in interest expenses. We write off $1,730 in property taxes per month. We write off about $210 of insurance per month. And we write off an additional about $4,093 of depreciation every single month. Now, if I take all of these monthly expenses, multiply them by 12 to get an annual figure, and then I multiply them by 40% to see what my actual tax savings are, because I'm now offsetting that much income and not paying taxes on that other income. With these tax benefits, we save about $53,297 per year. Now, this is another one where I get asked, well, wait a minute, my tax benefits aren't like cash flow. Well, actually they are. In fact, they're a direct form of cash flow. Principal pay down was an indirect form of cash flow. It kind of increases your asset base so you can borrow against it. Number two, cash flow from rent. That's a direct cash flow. That's pretty obvious. Number three, these are tax benefits. These are also direct cash flows. The reason they are is because if I have $100 in my pocket, the IRS comes up and says, hey, Kevin, you owe us 40 bucks. And I go, ah, I got this property tax coupon right here. They go, all right, you keep that 40 bucks. It's like I'm putting the 40 bucks right back in my pocket. So it's kind of like a coupon to cash flow. You get to keep more of your own money. To me, that's direct cash flow. But here's the but. Because I make cash flow number two, I have to pay taxes on that rent. Great, now I have these $53,000 in tax benefits, but I also have to pay taxes on the item in step number two, which is the direct cash flow that I get from rent. I don't have to pay taxes on number one because, well, that's just increasing an asset value. I don't have to pay taxes until I sell, and if I do a 1031 exchange, which you don't have to worry about in this video, I never have to pay taxes. Essentially, I could defer them, and then I could make it so that my children never pay taxes. $53,000 in tax benefits. But now because of that positive rental cash flow, I have to pay taxes. Let's go with that 40% on that about $13,000 in cash flows. So let's go ahead and put in a $5,288 expense. That's a direct exit cash flow for taxes on that rental cash flow. So you can see how this is building. We've got about $29,600 from number one principal pay down. We've got about $13,200 from the positive rent cash flow. Then we have about $53,000 in tax benefits. But then we have to minus off the taxes on that rental cash flow of about 50, 
$300. And that's where we kind of get to where we are now. Also for anybody wondering, and yet another topic for a different video, I'm not subject to the $25,000 loss limitation on real estate because I'm in real estate full time. Number four, repairs, management, and vacancy. Let's assume we set aside $200 per month for every single property. That works out to $800 in expenses that we're setting aside or anticipating every single month or $9,600 per year. Now let's do a little bit of an example as to what $9,600 can actually buy you. $9,600 per year over these four properties can buy me an entire new roof one time for one property every single year. I can buy and install 12 stoves and I can replace four furnaces every single year. So no, I don't buy home warranty plans because I'd have to pay about $2,000 for a home warranty plan every year and I'd rather just not pay that and when I have to replace a stove or a water heater, it's okay, we got money set aside for that. Now here's the fun part. This is the really cool part that you get to learn and take away as well. Remember Tim or D? Well, two of those were maintenance and repairs. In other words, and now let's discard vacancy out of the equation because that just complicates things. We barely have vacancy anyway, so let's just take that out. Let's just say we spent that $9,600 on repairs in a year. If we didn't, great. It was more money in our pocket. But let's say we spent it. So we spend $9,600. Now we can write off that $9,600 as well, which what does that mean? It means minus $9,600 for our passive income goal here, but plus a coupon because we just wrote that off our taxes as well and got some more passive income in the form of more tax benefits because we spent money on repairs. So in other words, that $9,600 multiplied by 40% created a $3,840 discount against money that I make in other businesses because I wrote the check for some repairs. So all of a sudden that repair expense became pretty small. Not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of these rental properties. And quite frankly, $200 per property per month is kind of high, especially for properties that we renovated, which goes into the topic of management. Because we renovated these properties, we really rarely get calls on things that are wrong because when we renovate properties, we renovate them very well. And that is, we like to put in quality products so that we don't get the phone call that your ceiling fan is broken or that your smoke detector is beeping. This also makes it difficult to hire third-party vendors because if third-party vendors are picking out their own smoke detectors, they usually end up getting their smoke detectors on sale or discount ones or ones that have a lot shorter lifespan if I just bought the spoke detector myself and said, here, please install this one. It's a trick. So as far as this being passive, Lauren does staging full-time and design full-time and she also takes care of our two and a half year old son, Jack, and 12 week old son, Max, full-time. The time she spends on our rental properties every single month is like, oop, like that. Like, I mean, I think last month we had something like, hey, tenants couldn't turn the furnace on. She just had to replace the air filter, but we didn't want to get involved. We didn't want to go over there. So we sent somebody over there and then yeah, we got a bill for 70 bucks to replace the air filter, which by the way, it did have to be diagnosed and reset anyway by a technician. So it's not like we just frivolously spent $70 on an air filter, but the furnace was okay. That is a real example. I was okay writing the $70 check because it was not worth anybody's time to go over there and figure it out, then go to the store to get the right size filter, then bring it back, and guess what? If an owner goes to a rental property, now you're creating yourself more work. In fact, your tenants should never know that you were the owner of the property. You should always, always be the manager of the property. Because as soon as you're the owner, hey, um, you know, I know rent increase is coming up. Hey, you, you want to go for a beer? You know, they got fight night going on. No! <laughs>
So these are the real numbers on management repairs and vacancy, but let's just say to be devil's advocate here, because yes, if we weren't property managers, we'd have to hire a property manager. Property manager would charge about $150 per each of these properties, which works out times four times 12 to $7,200 per year of property management expense. If we literally wanted to do nothing other than supervise our property manager, or we didn't have the property management experience, we could write the check for $7,200 and then we take a deduction on that as well. A $7,200 expense would work out to about a $2,880 coupon that we would now also generate as cash flow again. So yes, we spent money, but we also gained money. You won't see the property management. We spent money, we got money. Example on our spreadsheet, because again, we manage it ourselves and I want these numbers to be reflective of exactly what our situation is. I will admit, this is going to be the most subjective of all of them. And if there's any risk for me getting flamed or bashed in the comments, it's going to be because of number five. But hear me out on this one. Prices in the last six years have been going up about seven to 12% every single year. I agree, I think it's ridiculous and I don't count on it. But what I do count on is that averaged out over 30 years, when the next slowdown comes, I'm not predicting when it is or if it's tomorrow or if it's in a month, if it's in two years, five years, 10 years, I don't know. But when it comes, my expectation is that over the next 30 years, I will be able to say that real estate has appreciated a nominal 3% over inflation. That's pretty low relative to anything that you can read about online or in books or whatever about real estate appreciation or historical real estate appreciation. So I think 3% in the long run is a very conservative estimate. And quite frankly, even if you just went to the spreadsheet and you deleted market appreciation entirely, and you said, I think it's gonna go up 0% every single year, you could see that these houses still generate way more cash flow than they would cost to continue to maintain. Have a $9,600 budget to repair systems as they age and get older every single year. We could replace an entire electrical system for $6,000. The money's there. So when people say, oh, well, after 30 years, your house is ancient and dilapidated. No, we've been budgeting for it. And that's what I wanna share with you is, yes, houses need repairs, but it's nominal relative to all of the other benefits that real estate gives you. If we just assume market appreciation of 3% per year, the math is pretty simple. It works out to $75,000 of increase in net worth using just 3% a year. So if it's going up 6%, that's $150,000. I'm not even using ridiculous numbers like that. I'm using 3% above inflation. That's it. And I say that somewhat defensively because every time I talk about appreciation, I think folks think that this is very speculative. But given that I could put money in California municipal bonds and make five to 6% on my money tax free, which actually works out to like seven or 8% on my money because I'm not paying taxes. I think 3% for real estate is extremely fair. It's probably low, but I'd rather give you a low estimate. And realistically, if you don't like it again, do what I said, just delete that line entirely and then just call this video, okay, he made 160 minus $75,000. My long run goal though is keeping these properties for 30 years or more, I don't think I'll ever sell them. And if I sell them, I'll exchange. So to me, this is again, another sort of paper cash flow. It increases my net worth. And if my properties go up in value by $500,000, it does become very easy for me again to say, hey, I need $200,000. I got $500,000 in extra equity here. Now the equity position, instead of being a million dollars is $1.5 million. Heck, you know what? Give me $750,000. That is often way more secure debt because I could easily sell a property if I needed to and still have a very, very nice cushion or margin than borrowing money against stocks. Here's why. 
The reason borrowing money against stocks and the net worth appreciation in stocks is so dangerous is because most of these loans, first of all, they're called margin loans. Margin loans are just basically loans against your value of stock. And this is also the reason why Warren Buffett doesn't like margin loans. In your first home or investing in stocks, where would you tell someone is the better well, bet? If I thought I was going to live, if I knew where I was going to want to live the next five or 10 years, I would buy, I would buy a home and I'd finance it with a 30-year mortgage. and. and uh, it's a terrific deal. And if I literally, if I was an investor that was a handy type, which I'm not, <laughs> and I could buy a couple of them at distressed prices uh, and find renters. Is that if the market falls just for one week, you have a really, really bad week. Lenders like Morgan Stanley can automatically sell your stocks to cover the margin loans, which means all of a sudden the market could just temporarily have a hiccup. They sell your stock at the bottom of the market to cover their debt. And they're like, Whew, that was close. We almost lost our loan. Doesn't work that way in real estate. In real estate, I could owe $1.5 million and these properties could be worth a million dollars. As long as I've got tenants in there, as long as the payment can still be made because I still have my regular job to where if horrible worst case scenario, rents fell dramatically and I had to make up a little bit of a negative cash flow, I could do that and hold on to these properties until it went through that period. You can't do that with stocks. That's kind of what I was trying to allude to in that Grant Cardone passive income video, but I didn't really do a good job of explaining that. And I think just the fact that I said negative cash flow here might gain some negative attention. I hope not. I don't endorse it, okay? Here's the thing. Time in the market beats timing the market. A great friend of mine tells me this like all the time. I think this is like one of his favorite quotes ever. And really I'm starting to kind of adopt it as one of my favorite quotes because I really like it. You're like, ah, no, 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 God.